Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. So we're in Habakkuk today, or Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to pronounce it. That's where we're at. It's the 8th of 12 sermons, 8th of 12 minor prophets, not so minor prophets that we're looking at today. Pray with me if you would. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you thanks for your word, for Scripture, for the Bible. Help us to understand it. We want to spend some time hearing from you, and we want to learn about you and grow close to you. And as we go close to you, we grow close to one another as well. Lord, bring this about. Make this happen here. We're counting on you for it. We're trusting you for it. We're asking you for it. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So, good news. Many of you have been asking. I'm back to running again. Yeah. I have uh, been running slower paces and shorter distances, all in preparation for the multiple marathons that I've signed up for in the future. And I, I have run 20 marathons in the past, years ago. Marathons are hard. It's 26.2 miles. I know, you've learned something already in church. Yeah. They're also an awesome, really cool illustration of life and life in Christ. I mean, in, in a marathon, you have, to, you have to take one step at a time, you know, put one foot in front of the other. You have to go in the right direction. It can be exhilarating. It can be a grind. It can be exhausting. It's best done with others who are on the journey with you, and there's nothing better than crossing the finish line. And all along the way, you thank God for small blessings like porta potties. <laughs> and so, as I was thinking about this, it occurred to me that I was preparing this message on this book for Mother's Day weekend. And I thought maybe my experience of running these marathons gives me just a little bit of insight, maybe, into part of what it means to be a mother. Motherhood is hard. It's a cool illustration of life and life in Christ Jesus. It's about putting one foot in front of the other and going in the right direction. It can be exhilarating. It can be a grind. It can be exhausting. It's best done in the company of others who are on the same journey, and there's nothing better than crossing the finish line. In some ways, motherhood is like the ultimate marathon or one of the ultimate marathons that we might run in life. The marathon is interesting. You, you start it, and it's, it's meaningful. And, and anything that you might equate to be like a marathon in your life is the same way you, you start it, and you're full of excitement and energy, and then it gets hard. It always gets hard. And then it gets so hard that it gets bad. And I know you've been through something like this. I know there's mothers here now who are going through something like this. 
and it's difficult. And, and the, 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 the plea of the heart of such a person, if, if a mom is here feeling that, would be, I, I don't know how I can take one more step. I don't know how I'm going to get through the day, how I'm going to get through the week. There's always some of us, more of us than we know, going through something like that. We're in the, the middle of a marathon. You see, with God, it seems like things go from bad to worse before they get better. And, and this is a, a theme throughout Scripture. I mean, it's, it's the, the theme of faith-fueled hope. You know, there, there's, there's tears all night long, but then joy comes in the morning. The important thing to know about this, however, is that the, the, the fact is that you, you, can't, you can't get to the joy-filled morning without enduring the tear-filled night. You can't get there. You can't have an Easter Sunday without a Good Friday. There is no resurrection without the crucifixion. And you see that over and over in Scripture. Just like in a marathon, you have to run all 26.2 miles of the marathon. The first five miles are super fun. There's singing, and there's music, there's fireworks. And you're like, yay, I'm running the marathon. Oh, you're so special, I'm so special. And everybody's just, you know, and there's plenty of porta-potties. You're just, all the support, you know, you're just running. And then the last five miles are very different. And, and they're very, you know, you're just like, I don't know. Uh, and, and people are, are, there's still music, but you don't want to hear it. And you don't want to hear people say, you go, you are awesome. Uh, uh, you know, and, and lots of times you hear somebody say, yo, you look great. And if you're doing really badly, I've heard this, you know, almost finished. And people yell, are you okay? Like, well, that's not helping. Well, that doesn't help. But that's the, that's the first five and the last five. In between, you've got 16.2 miles in the middle. And people drop out of the race every mile. And sometimes that's, that's a good idea because you're going to get hurt. You're going to be injured. But lots of times it's not a good idea. Just keep going. And you'll see it. People will, you know, the winners will cross the finish line a little over two hours. But then there's three hours. Those are still serious athletes. Four hours. I always try to get under four hours. Done it twice out of my 20 times. That's it. And then there's the four hour, five hours, six hours, seven hour. You know, sometimes I remember running the New York Marathon. I was going pretty slow, and it was getting dark. That's how I knew it was taking me plenty of time to run this marathon. I was just looking at every building, I guess. I don't know. It's going pretty slow. It was hard the whole time. But finally, crossed that finish line, and it was great, fantastic. Other marathons are great and fantastic too, but they're not so quittable. Like motherhood. Can't really quit that. Or, or the, the matters of the soul. Faith. You can't quit it. And, and all journeys, all worthwhile journeys, they all kind of look like marathons, and they all end up being more difficult than anticipated. It happens every time. 
Marathons of any kind. There's people here who've graduated college. That's a marathon. I mean, any marathon is, is more difficult than anticipated. And, and it's, it's, a, it's a slog through the valley of the shadow of fatigue. I mean, you don't know, how am I going to get there? The finish line is out of sight. It's unobtainable. And that's when you want to have that, that, that shout out with God. Like, oh, God, I can't, I, I, I'm not going to take one more step. Not one more step. I, I got to tell you how hard this is. I got to tell you how bad this is. It shouldn't be this hard. It shouldn't be this bad. I got to tell you how hopeless I feel. And that is where we start with the prophet we're looking at today. We start the book of Habakkuk in the middle of his breakdown that he's having before God. It's, it's, it's startling stuff. The first four verses. The oracle that Habakkuk, the prophet, saw, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Already for some of you, you're thinking, oh, this might be the book for me. Right? <laughs> I can relate already. Amen. Verse 3. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Look at that. That's what the, this bold complaint. Look at this. Do you see this? It's a common complaint. It's bold. It's common. It's not commonly voiced. As far as I can tell, no believer is spared this kind of experience. God, why are you doing nothing? God, why, why did you let this happen? What, what are you doing? Are you being that you're idly looking on? What is this? You hear it all the time. People complain about God this way all the time, whether they're believers or not. Something horrible happens, and you hear somebody say, well, if, if there was a God, if God was real, he wouldn't let this happen, you know? If God was good, well, obviously he's not. You hear that, and you're reading that. You're reading an expression of that from a prophet in the Word of God. That's how familiar God is with this heart cry that so many of us hold back. We think it disqualifies us from faith. We think there's something wrong with us when we feel this way about God. We think we ought not to ever talk this way. You can't talk this way in church. Really? That's the way they talk in the Bible. Well, yeah, but we don't do that in church. In church, we're nice. And when somebody asks us how we're doing, what do we say? Fine. I, well, fine. Or we'll come up with some variation of it. Better than I deserve, you know? Great. Whatever. We'll, we'll, we'll find some way not to, 
to go there. And really, we ought not to go there when it comes to these emotions that are so fiery. This, this anger, this anxiety, this despair, if you will. At least the feeling of despair is here. Those God-sized emotions go to God, not to your neighbor, not to the people you live with, not to yourself. And that's what we see Habakkuk doing here. The, the primary question here is why? Why? It's, it's, a, it's the question of humanity. Why? God, you know you're a believer when you ask this question. Because you're, you're asking it of him. Why? Why? And it's, it's so powerful, this question, because it, it can either draw us to God or repel us from God. There's no middle ground. Why? And, and God responds. It's amazing that he responds. And, and part of the experience of reading Scripture is to read about how he responds and to, to behold how amazing it really is. So we've opened with these four verses. Things cannot get worse. Habakkuk is complaining about what's around him. In Judah, the people of God are the people who twist justice, the people who are wicked, the people who paralyze the law. And, and this is his complaint. That complaint is, is based on what matters to God. It's, it's a complaint based on what God has said is important to him. So how will he respond? Well, here it is. Verses 5 through 7. Look among the nations and see, this is God speaking, wonder and be astounded. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation, who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So are you following this? It can't get worse. Habakkuk complained. And then the response he gets makes it worse. It goes from worse to worser. It's, I mean, that's what we're going to see as we follow, as we hear Habakkuk now respond to how God has responded to him. The Chaldeans are the Babylonians. Now, we've been in the Minor Prophets long enough. We've looked at the situation, the dynamic between the two kingdoms and when they fall to know that the Babylonians, what, what that means when we say the name of that people group. They're the ones who sacked Jerusalem in 586 B.C. That's coming up now. The Assyrians have already sacked Israel, the northern kingdom. So again, you have Israel. It's important to know this. It's important to have a little map in front of you, and you can see the north and the south. It used to be one kingdom under Saul and then David and Solomon, right, from 1050 B.C. to about 930 B.C., and then the kingdom divided, north and south. North, sometimes called Samaria, called Israel. The whole thing is called Israel too, but the north is called Israel. And the Assyrians sacked Israel in 722 B.C., all wicked kings and the wickedness brought about their destruction. 
The southern kingdom, Judah, where Jerusalem is, stay with me here, it's good. Picture the map in your head. There's a southern kingdom right here, and I'm doing a good job drawing it in the air. There's the southern kingdom, and Jerusalem's right there, okay? And they had a couple righteous kings, and a couple doozies too, but they had a couple righteous kings, and they lasted a little longer, but they fell because of their own wickedness as well. And they fell by the Babylonians. So the Assyrians and the Babylonians are wicked people who do wicked things at the time. At least the leaders were. That's how it always is, isn't it? The leaders, and then you have all the people following. And there are people like us most of the time, but they had wicked leaders who did wicked things, wicked things to the people of God. And so Habakkuk is saying, oh, our people are wicked. And then God is saying, oh, wait, I got a, I got a fix for that. I'm going to find wickeder people and bring them, and they're going to slaughter all these wicked people. And Habakkuk is saying, no, uh, no, 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 that's not, I, I don't, what? No, no. I mean, here, here he is later on in chapter 1. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. Why? And there he is again. Why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? So he's just reduced to asking why more. That's a sign that we're going through tough times when we just have layers of why, 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 why. So the earlier why questions were eclipsed by the news now that God's going to use the Chaldeans to fix the problem Habakkuk had first complained about, the problem of unrighteous Judah. And he continues this way through the rest of chapter 1, and we get to chapter 2, the beginning, and he says this, I will take my stand at my watchpost and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So he's kind of out of ideas. I don't know what else to do, but I'm not going anywhere else. I'm asking why. I'm not liking the answers I'm getting, but I'm not going anywhere else for any other answers. I'm going to listen to him. I'm going to face him. This is faith. This is faith. This is what it is to be a believer. He's disappointed in God. He's unhappy with God. He says so. Heaven and earth will pass away, but him saying so will not pass away because it honors God, and God recognizes that. He doesn't understand. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get you. I don't get you. But I'm not, I'm not trying to get anything. I'm not turning away. I'm not looking for an alternative. I'm sticking with you. You get a picture of him there on the watch post. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see what he says, and then we'll see what I say. I don't know, but I'm not going anywhere else. Are you getting this? That's faith. That's what it means to be a Christian. It's not about, it's about you sticking to God because you know that God is sticking to you. You don't understand how he's sticking to you. Doesn't feel like you're sticking with me, God. Feels like you left the building, but I'm believing that you didn't because you promised that you didn't, and I'm going to hold on to you. Tears may last through the night, but joy, 
It's coming in the morning. You said so, and I'm not letting you go on that one. That's faith. Faith. Yes. And so God responds. Again, amazing. The next two verses. And the Lord answered me. Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. That's what we need to keep running the race. We need what God says to get in us, to fuel us. Verse 3, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Some of you need to just realize that that, that was free. If it seems slow, wait for it. I don't know what God's trying to tell me in church today. I don't know. I, if it seems slow, you know who you are. I don't know who you are. I know who some of you are. I don't know the rest of you. But God knows who all of you are who need to hear that. If it seems slow, wait for it. It's, that's what's called faith. Faith is evidence of things you can't see yet. Well, I don't know what he's doing. Right. That's why it's called faith. You don't know what he's doing, but you know it's him. Right? It's him. He's doing it. I'm going to trust him. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So God speaks. His communication is complete and perfectly fitted to every and any situation we find ourselves in. He, he says what we need in any and every situation we find ourselves in throughout our lives. And, and this, what he says here in these two verses, leads to a critically important verse. The next verse. We wouldn't have Protestant Christianity without this verse. The whole idea of being saved wouldn't be what it is without this verse. There are verses like this scattered throughout the minor prophets, and this is one of them. The next verse, verse 4. The first part of verse 4 is speaking about the adversaries. Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. There it is. The righteous shall live by his faith. When everything around you is collapsing and burning down and falling away, as a believer, the thing you want most is to know that despite all of this, you and God are okay. We're, we're okay, you and I. I'm, I'm with you, you're with me. And, and Scripture recognizes this. God knows this, and we see evidence of that knowledge in verses like this. This is the heart of the Reformation, this verse. I mean, this is the, the verse that Paul represents as being the thing that, that changed him. I mean, this is what he talks about in Romans chapter 1, verses 16 through 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of 
God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's talking about a message. The message is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. The good news, the gospel, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. There you have it. And now you know where it is written. Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4. And if you recall history, you know that there was a Catholic monk named Martin Luther who stumbled on this verse and got rolled over by this verse because he just couldn't try hard enough. He couldn't do enough work to get there with God. And then suddenly this verse stood there in front of him. The righteous will live by faith. And this is where born-again Christianity comes from. This is where Protestantism comes from. John Calvin followed suit and others, and we have all these church fathers that realized that we had gone astray. They were all Catholics at the time, and realized that at that point in history, the whole Christian church, which was Catholic at the time, because there weren't the multiplicity of denominations, had, had taken a turn away from the scriptural witness. To get back to what it says in the Bible, we get back to what it means to be righteous. The righteous live by faith. It's not what we do. It's not what we say. It's not even what we think. It's not what we don't do, not what we don't say, not what we don't think. It's what he has done. That's where our faith is. Amen? What he has said. And this is, this is God's, God could see Habakkuk there. I don't get you. And, and in his communication, he says, write it down. Write it down. The righteous will live by faith. And the rest of chapter 2, it, it shows us that God's going to take care of the, of the Chaldeans. You know, we, we start to realize that our questions and our answers are both overrated. They don't serve us the way that we're, we're seeking for them to serve us. We think, I'll be satisfied with this answer to my question. I have many questions. I need many answers. You won't be satisfied. Satisfaction will come only through relationship based on trust, a relationship with your Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. That is your sole source of satisfaction. And the foundations for that are what we're reading about here in ancient prophecy. In, in, the, in the following verses, after these lightning bolts of these first couple of verses in chapter 2, you have all these statements of woe against the Chaldeans, against the Babylonians. So this is nurturing Habakkuk's heart because he wants to make sure that the, the wicked, the really wicked, get what's due them. They get their comeuppance. They get their just desserts. And God states through chapter 2 that they do. And sometimes we, don't, we get confused about the word woe because we, it's it's, we think it's the word W-H-O-A, like whoa, horse, whoa, take it, take it easy, you know? Or whoa, that was awesome, you know? 
Like, like being on a ride in an amusement park, you know? Whoa! I mean, none of my family likes those rides. The roller coaster. It sounds so soothing, doesn't it? Just look at the two words. Roller, like, right? It's rolling along. Coaster, just coasting. Except that's not, that's not the experience. And, and Shannon will have nothing to do with any of that. And Kelsey joins her, and there's only one, the youngest, Kendall. She wants to ride every single one of them. I remember once she was afraid, and so we put her on a little one, and she says, Daddy, let's do a bigger one. And by the end of that day, we had done every single one of them. And at first I thought, boy, I'm a good father. I just, I just, I really, I, she's brave now. And then we get to the bigger ones. And, uh, honey, we don't have to get on that one. No, no, that's a straight drop. That's, no, and their feet are dangling, and it looks like the feet are just going to come off when they go by those poles. And, yes, Daddy, let's do it. And then from then on, that's what we do all the time. And it's not, whoa, I'm, I, I scream like a, a five-year-old little girl, you know? <laughs> That's the only way to do it, you know? It's not that. That's not what, what, what when Jesus says, whoa, we, we, it, that's not what it means. It doesn't, it's not even a warning. It's worse than that. It's, it's a curse. Like, you're already in trouble. It's, it's already over. Whoa. Woe to you. You will experience woe. The outcome will be woeful. It'll be bad. Woe. And Habakkuk needs this. And then he responds with this prayer. And I, I, I didn't want to put it up on the screen. I didn't want to, to page through uh, a couple screens with this. I wanted you just to hear it. You can follow along as well. This is his prayer. And so you sense in this now that same passion. Listen for it. You sense that what he's needing is to see something happen. Like, God, i got to see something happen. And the prophet sees in the context of this prayer. Let me just read it. Habakkuk's prayer, starting in verse 2 of chapter 3. O Lord, I've heard the report of you and your work. O Lord, do I fear. In the midst of the years, revive it. In the midst of the years, make it known. In, in wrath, remember mercy. God came from Taman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His splendor covers the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. Those are north and south points, Taman and Mount Paran. So all over. God comes from all over. Verse 4. His brightness was like the light. Rays flashed from his hand, and there he veiled his power. Before him went pestilence, and plague followed at his heels. He stood and measured the earth. He looked and shook the nations. Then the eternal mountains were scattered. The everlasting hills sank low. His were the everlasting ways. I saw the tents of Kushan in affliction. The curtains of the land of Midian did tremble. Was your wrath against the rivers, O Lord? Was your anger against the rivers or your indignation against the sea when you rode on your horses, on your chariot of salvation? You stripped the sheath from your bow, calling for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. The raging waters swept on. The deep gave forth its voice. It lifted its hands on high. The sun and moon stood still in their place. At the light of your arrows as they sped, at the flash of your glittering spear, 
You marched through the earth in fury. You threshed the nations in anger. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. You pierced with his own arrows the heads of his warriors who came like a whirlwind to scatter me, rejoicing as if to devour the poor in secret. You trampled the sea with your horses, the surging of mighty waters I hear, and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon people who invade us. So he just didn't hold back anything. And in the midst of that prayer, it's almost like you can see a film, can't you? You can see the video of it, of the warfare. And you you get little glimpses of what it might have been like for the Red Sea to be parted and and some of the other battles where God clearly interceded for his people. And Habakkuk is is bringing all that out and laying it out, going through all of this, this long night of tears and anguish so he can arrive at the last three verses. Now, Habakkuk 2.4 is one of the famous verses from this chapter. And then the last three verses, 3, 17 through 19, well, equally famous. It's a, it's a point of arrival. There's nothing left. He shed all his tears. He, he prayed the whole prayer to God. He didn't hold back. He, he didn't just check a box. I think some of you need this. You need this long night of prayer. You need this, this angst and, and, and this, this experience. We, I, I think we have this belief in something we call reverence, which is this idea of, of being really stayed and in control and, 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 and not exhibiting emotion. We don't do that. Well, that whole idea of not doing that doesn't come from the Bible. It comes from paganry. It comes from Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. They're the ones who made light of things like laughter. I studied that for my thesis. They said, well, an intelligent, important human being would never laugh or never make such a display. And yet, in the Bible, you see every one of our heroes having this breakdown before God. David danced in his underwear. Come on, and you're so proud, and you're so stiff, and that you still are bitter towards God, but you haven't even poured out your heart to God. You know, he meant it when he said that those he was going to cast away, he was going to say, away from me, I never knew you. I don't know you. Does God know you? Have you ever prayed like this? Have you somehow believed that you don't have permission to pray like this? Or prayer would be something much tamer, much more timid, and shorter, and just, you you check that box, and then you're done. You go on with the rest of your day. And if you're going to lose it, lose it on the people you live with. Lose it on the people you work with. No, we have this capacity to lose it, and there's a right place to do that. At the feet of Jesus Christ. At the feet of the cross. At the foot of the cross. Pour it out. Let it out. Moses, Paul, 
Go through the Bible, and you see over and over again, they all have these moments with God. These dark nights of the soul. And they, and they didn't, they, they, they didn't make light of it. They, they didn't say, I'm not, I'm not doing that. They didn't think it would be better not to pour out their hearts before God. And yet you see here the heart of Scripture. We're starting to recognize that some of these minor prophets really represent the heart of Scripture. Here at the heart of Scripture, God is showing us what it's like to have a relationship with Him. There's nothing. He sees through you all the way. He knows what's going on in your heart. He knows what's happening with you. Tell him about it. Like this. Be like Habakkuk in chapter 1, verse 2, and just be at that watch post. I'm not looking anywhere else. I'm, I'm, I'm focused on you. You'd be surprised. And, and you'll get to a place where you can, you can say this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines. The produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, and the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. You can have that. You can be there. With everything in life falling away, failing, burning down, collapsing, you can be here. Fill in the blank on what represents olive crops failing Fields with no herds or flocks in your life. Maybe you don't have to do much work to fill in the blanks. Maybe it's an accurate representation of what you're experiencing in your life. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. How did, we see in the book how he got there. He took no shortcut. He didn't look anywhere else but to God. And he didn't hold anything back from God. And God said, the righteous live by faith. And that's what living by faith is. Jesus Christ is not a means to an end. He is the end. Amen? And he calls us to a life that's bigger than our circumstances. Because it extends beyond our circumstances. This life is only part of our life in Christ. And all of that is in view when you fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. How do you need to do that now? How can you remember this for later when you need it? Because all this church attending and all this other stuff you're doing and all these songs you're singing, uh, you're going to need it to matter. You're going to need it to be real. Sooner or later, most likely sooner. 
So get there now. Go there now. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Just like in the marathon where, you know, in the middle miles, it's so difficult. Lord, all of us can relate to that. And some of us are here, and we're in the middle of it. In the middle of the story, in the middle of the storm. And if we don't think about you, if we don't hear from you, if somehow we turn away from you, then all there is is storm. And all there is is middle. But it's a lie. The middle is not all there is. The storm is not all there is. The, these times of deprivation, whatever we are being, whatever we are being deprived of, the, these times of, of deprivation, that, that, they're not all there is. The valley of the shadow of death is not the only place. We go through this place to get to another place with you, for you, because of you. Thank you for this, Lord. I pray your blessing on anyone here who's in the middle of the struggle. Some of our struggles are known in public. Some of them are private. No one else knows but you. We want to be able to say the same thing that Habakkuk says here. We want to list off the, the things we're missing. We want to be able to tell you uh, what we think about what we see around us, knowing that you will, far from reject us, you will draw us closer to yourself. And we want to be able to say, no matter what, I will rejoice in the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.